think we got all the kinks out of the system and we're actually ready to go. And I'm excited because we are going to talk about artificial intelligence today with two of the best people to talk about artificial intelligence with. And this five questions podcast is going to be all about AI. And I want to start off by saying uh, I am certainly not an expert in artificial intelligence at all. I will not be creating any artificial intelligence tools or any any artificial intelligence at all. I will just be using the AI tools that other people create. And so it's super fascinating to me. And there are certainly lots of concerns and questions that are valid that people have. And I do think that we are facing a big shift in the way the world is going to work moving forward and the way work gets done and the type of people who will thrive in this new environment. It's going to change just like computers had a, a big impact on how we work and, and the printing press and books. And, and there are lots of different technologies we could look at. This is probably one of those that is actually going to be a major shift for us. And that has a lot of valid concerns. It has a lot of really interesting upsides as well. And here to talk about it with me are Kevin Crosley and Eric Phillips. And Kevin, I wonder if you could tell us what you do at First Free Church. Yeah, I um, have recently done a little bit of everything. I am the executive pastor of leadership development and operations, an interim youth pastor. And until just this week, I was also the interim facilities director. But uh, we just hired a new person into that role. And I'm super excited to have one less job. Oh, yes. We are so excited to have Joe on the team. He is going to be great. And Eric, what do you do at First Free Church? So I'm the assistant director of technical ministries. Um, I have my hand in just about anything tech um, as far as audio, visual stuff, um, preparing graphics for services, mixing the audio or um, directing the video during services, all that stuff. Anything that's tech tends to fall on um, me or Martin. I try to make it mostly Martin, but it's you know, often both of us. <laughs> yeah. And, and you people should know are responsible for the amazing mirror man costume video that graced our stage. It's true. I, you know, that's a good point. Any, anything that is distracting or disruptive in any way, typically you can point, trace it back to me. Um, and I'm also a disruptor of pretty much any meeting that I'm in. So I'm, I feel like that's a something I'm notorious for at this point. You know, that seems like a perfect fit for this conversation because AI, if nothing else, is very disruptive. And it will yeah, probably be more sure. disruptive for a lot of industries and a lot of people. So let's dive into it, guys. we got five questions about AI today that are going to kind of run the gamut. We'll start with you, Kevin. Maybe you can explain for yeah. people that aren't as familiar with artificial intelligence, what exactly is it? What is AI actually? Well, thanks, Adam, for the easy question. Um, I, I will say um, there, there are two ways to think about it. And one is what, what do information systems do? And so they store information and then they provide a way for users to interact with that information. And that has been improving year after year after year since the first computers were fed the first punch cards. And, and what AI is, is the, the latest iteration of really surprising improvements in both the amount of information that's stored and the way that users can interact with that information, both in asking it for um, outputs and then in the quality of the outputs that, that the AI gives. And there are two kind of domains that are really dominating the news these days. One is words and the other is pictures. And so when I think about AI in the domain of words, um, you have a programs like ChatGPT, where you can ask a, a question using natural language and get a response back that is very hard to tell. It was not written by a human being with an advanced education. And yet it's also drawing on all of the information that's been put into the training of that, that uh, system, that AI system. And so um, it is, it is an, a remarkable improvement over putting a query into a Google search bar and getting a list of websites. Now, instead you get an actual document that says, in paragraphs and sentences with proper punctuation, here's the best possible answer 
to the question that you've asked based on all of the information, hundreds of thousands or millions of books and articles and other documents that have been fed into the language processing program, in this case, ChatGPT. That's a great example, side. just to, to interject for a minute there. Just yeah. last week, I was in a meeting with a bunch of people at church, and we were trying to remember where some information came from, and nobody could remember it. And so I popped on chat GPT and typed in the thing and said, can you find out where this came from? And immediately it gave a paragraph on who it originated with or, or where they might have gotten it from and what they included in what book it was from, all that kind of stuff. We tried, multiple of us tried to Google the information, could not find it in the search results. So yeah. it was just a great example of what you were just talking about. Yeah, um, it, AI in, in the language processing side is really as much an improvement on the user interface as it is on the information that's stored in the system. Um, you know, Googling gives you access to almost all of the same information. It's just in a much cruder, interactive format. Um, if we think about AI and pictures, it's the same idea. Now the, the AI um, application has been trained on all of the photos that are online, all of the pictures that exist in digital form, and um, can interpret the query and take elements of the pictures that it's been trained on and create images that match the request from the user so closely that in many cases, it's difficult to tell if that's a, a real photograph or if it's generated by a computer. Yeah, that's right. Eric, anything you would add to explaining what AI is? Sure, yeah. So I, I think that computers in general have just been getting better and better at um, being frictionless for humans to use. Um, and especially when you consider like where it started, where it's like you, there's, you really have to understand how a computer works on a deep level to even have any kind of exchange of information take place then to like, you know, eighties, nineties, you're kind of starting to get a lot more visual, like, you know, you get a mouse and you can point it and click it and it starts becoming something that like, oh, like users can, can have these at home without having an education on computer sciences. And then, you know, you got Google breaking free all this information that now you can, you know, the world's at your fingertips with the internet. AI is taking that and even a step further to like, as Kevin was saying, where all of a sudden you have the ability to say anything um, and you have a response within seconds. Um, like you could say, write me a poem and about this subject and it will just make that. Um, or create an image of this, or I think soon, you know, we do have technology that's um, quickly developing that can do the same with video, but you know, you can say, make me a, an image of this thing and it'll say, here's four options and it can upscale. It can do all these crazy things. Um, I think that it is super interesting the way that that um, creates, it, it removes even more friction in this huge way. I think also um, one aspect of AI that, um, that it's important to mention is the fact that it can also do things for you. So like on your computer, you can say, Hey, take all these videos and, um, you know, a video editor who used to have to spend all the time finding just the best moments of, um, of their footage and putting it together can say, Hey, set this to music. And we have software that's been able to do that sort of thing for a while, but it's not great. And it takes a lot of hu human you know, intervention of like, well, i actually messed this up. So I'm going to go back and fix it. AI is taking all of that. Uh, it's AI and machine learning, but it's taking those things and it's just like cranking up the ability to um, to handle those types of things on a massive scale. And it's like, it, it's just a huge leap forward for sure. And it's really exciting. It's also a little bit scary because I think a lot of people are wondering, you know, what's this going to do to my job or what's this going to do to my industry? Yeah, that's right. And, and we'll certainly get to that question in a little bit here. Uh, I wanted to take a stab at the what is AI question too, because I think that there are three main reasons why we're seeing and hearing so much more about AI this year than we have in the last five years. And it really boils down, I think, to three main factors. One is the internet certainly has made accessible a treasure trove of information that is out there. And so if you had the ability to absorb it all and actually retain it and do something with it, that's hugely powerful. The thing is, try as they might, as you guys both mentioned, search engines 
are not able to distill that information for us in a super usable way. It helps, but you'll still do a lot of searching and hunting to find the information you're looking for. And at the end of the day, you're still gonna have to click a link probably and read an article or maybe do a, a search to find on that page what you're looking for. And it's still a lot of work to find that information. But the other two things that have happened are storage for computers is so cheap and so large now. And so you can have massive server farms with, with petadates, pet, petabytes of data, just incredible amounts of data stored. And all of that is it's knowledge. You know, it's not wisdom, but it's knowledge that is stored up there. And that includes not only text files, but also videos and images and audio and music and all of these things can be stored as data in huge server farms. But the other thing is computing power. And so now you have companies like NVIDIA that have created incredibly powerful computers. In fact, computers that are modules that can be added together to create supercomputers so that, yes, it's horrendously expensive, but it's nowhere near as expensive as it used to be. Like 20 years ago, the only company that could probably even think about pulling some AI type things off would be IBM, and they did with Watson. But now more and more companies are able to get in the game. Yes, it's expensive, but it is way more accessible. And the other thing that I would share about AI for those that aren't quite sure what it is, I think that the big distinctive around AI is its ability to learn, its ability to get better on its own. So we've had algorithms for a long time, and that's what search engines are, right? You type in your query into a search engine, and it's got an algorithm that based on its massive amount of data is trying to find you the closest thing to what you were looking for and present the top 10 items to you. Well, the difference with AI is machine learning and the fact that this is a machine that can learn, that it can get better over time. So it's like an advanced algorithm that's not only been told, I want you to go find this information, but then I want you to learn from the feedback of whoever asked you for it. Or I want you to learn from the feedback when you compare this to another thing that's already close to what we're looking for. There are lots of ways to do it. But just the idea that this is software that has been designed to analyze its own results grade itself based on how close it is to some standard or some metric or some bit of feedback, and then try to improve on that and make it better next time. So AI is able to play a computer game, for instance, and based on the results of that game, go, you know, I'm going to try some different moves next time, let's say if it's chess. And then it's going to do that millions of times or billions of times because of the advanced computing power we have now. And eventually it's going to find that, oh, wow, when I do these moves, it works way better and I win more often. And it's that feedback loop that makes it artificially intelligent. It's not actually intelligent, but to us it appears like intelligence because it's had billions of cycles of trying to solve whatever this problem is. And so when you type a query into chat GPT, it's building on the knowledge that it's gained from billions and billions and billions of requests and the feedback that it's gotten on, oh, it's better if I word it this way. It's better if I get this information. This source is more reliable than this source, those type, sorts of things. So it's that ability to learn that really makes AI very interesting and unique and different in these days. And also uh, scary, like, you know, the fact that AI can actually produce better AI. If you, if you create AI, uh, a, a machine learning software, and then say, now I want you to build a better AI, they've actually shown recently that it can do it. It can create another AI that can learn better and faster, which is fascinating and interesting. But let's save that conversation for now, because first let's talk about the potential uses for AI. What can you actually do with it? How are people using AI today? Let's start with you, Eric. Yeah. Um, my gosh, there's so much stuff that you can do with it that we're just kind of realizing. Um, I can tell you someone used it on their phone. They connected uh, Siri to interface with ChatGPT. Um, and you know, if you've ever asked your phone, your Google Assistant or your, your Siri or whatever, what's the weather? And it's like, you know, it, it'll make a mistake or it'll tell you, hey, here's the high and low for today and it's raining. It's just very basic interfacing. But all of a sudden this person was able to ask Siri and say, um, you know, tell me about what the weather this week is going to be like. And, um, you know, or you can say something even more precise, like explain the weather to my toddler. And all of a sudden it says, well, Hey, this week it's going to rain. And it, like, it, it understands that natural language input can process and can answer in a way that if you did that, with a you know current version of a Google Assistant or a Siri, you're going to get you know a basic response. Here's the weather. Um, 
that you could say can go for um you could say tell me about the weather for today and suggest an outfit and it could actually do it yeah absolutely or tell me the weather in the form of a of a rap song you know and it'll like put it into (laughs) into verse right um there's also like i know that google is doing some really cool things so is uh, microsoft as far as like interfacing it with um, or integrating it into their search engines. So you mentioned Kevin earlier about like how when you're searching on Google, um, you're getting a list of websites, right? Google just announced that they're going to um, integrate that fully into their search engine. Um, It's in beta now. You can try it out or get on a wait list to try it out. But like you can uh, soon, it's just going to be the way that we search. But when you search, you know, what year did Christopher Columbus sail the ocean blue? You're going to not only get, you know, maybe at the top right now, you're going to get the word 1492, and then you're going to get a whole bunch of websites about that and Wikipedia and all this stuff. Now it's going to say like a full sentence that's been generated that answers your specific question. And it's, it's unique. It's not, you know, if someone else was to search it in a slightly different way, it's not going to be the same answer it's spitting out. It's generating an answer for you in that moment. And in that case, it's kind of like talking to someone who's just really, really smart, who is an encyclopedia of knowledge because it's able to just do that. So those are some of the, I think the next things we'll see. I will also say that like more specifically, we're seeing like voice generation. It can make, you know, a a song out of your voice. Uh, It can use, um, actually Apple just announced, um, the ability in their next software version that's coming out later this year, um, someone who has a, di- a diagnosis for ALS, they can record their voice for 15 minutes and it will generate an entire AI model of their voice that they can use to type. It'll say their use their voice and whatever they type and they can use that to communicate in their own voice. Like it's powerful. Um, this kind of thing wasn't possible a couple of years ago. And all of a sudden, we have this endless amount of abilities. It's very, very cool. That is cool. Kevin, how else are you seeing people use AI? I, I'm thinking about the, the first exposures that I had to ChatGPT, which is uh, generative AI for language processing. And um, one of the examples was create a rental document in Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina for a two-bedroom apartment at this address and have it comply with all of the laws for that state, county, and city um, with a rent of this and a first and month, last month's rent and a deposit. And in 30 seconds, it generated a fully compliant legal document that would be exactly as good or better because it doesn't make mistakes in the same way that you or I might, even if we were a real estate attorney, um, to prepare that rental document. And anything that is structured like legal documents can be generated um, automatically through the combination of the training of the AI and then the interface with the, the user. Yeah, that's right. And, um, and of course, I, AI is now being yeah. used to create video footage so you can train it on models of people's faces and it can create a, a realistic, a photorealistic video. It's so, still somewhat simple. And if you see examples of this where they try to create like a full commercial, it usually looks really goofy because it's trying to generate pixel by pixel what this would look like. And it's not very good yet. But you can also see they're using AI to generate music. They're using AI to analyze music, they're using AI to take audio files and turn them into pictures. So like if you give if you give it the sound of a barking dog, it will give you a picture of a dog or vice versa. If you give it a picture of a dog, it can give you the sound that would be made by that. There are all sorts of different sort of fun examples of this, uh, but ways that people are using it that'll make a difference in their jobs too. I think that this is going to be integrated into every email program eventually, every word processor to where it's going to help you generate responses faster to people when they when they ask you a question in the email. Right now, as you type in a lot of email programs and certainly on your phone, it'll give you suggestions for maybe the next word or few words. Well, what if it gave you a suggestion of an entire paragraph and you just read it over and went, yeah, that's pretty much what I want to say. And the AI part of it is going to know your language. 
and know how you re reply to emails. And so over time, it will learn, oh, this is the way Adam likes to reply to this type of question. I'll go ahead and give him a reply using the specific details of this person's email request, but in Adam's voice, how would he want to reply? And then it's just going to be sitting there waiting for you to look at it, Like, do you want to reply with this? And you read it and go, yeah, I might make a couple tweaks, but then yeah, that's good. And so the, the time savings of it, I think will be huge. I think the medical benefits of this are incredible as well, because as our medical records have become so digitized, that is a treasure trove of data uh, for better or worse that can be mined by AI to try to predict um, solutions to diseases or uses for medications that haven't been explored yet, or or maybe they've been explored in tiny areas, but it hasn't been recognized by a greater medical community. So you think about just the the value that AI speech through chat GPT has provided us in terms of inspiration and finding information we wouldn't have been able to find otherwise. Well, imagine if you're trying to solve somebody's uh, difficult medical problem and you're you're plugging in symptoms and nobody's been able to figure it out, but then this AI model is able to look at billions of records of medical data and find out that, oh, there is this other random person, you know, somewhere halfway around the world that had a similar issue and that unlocks the door to treatment for you. The, the medical area is another one where I think AI is gonna be a tremendous benefit there. Any other tools that we've missed you know, or Adam, ways it's gonna be used? Yeah, I, I think it's possible to be listening to this um, podcast and go, you know, I've never really interacted with AI and these all sound fantastical and unbelievable. And the fact is that many more people have interacted with AI than maybe even realize it. And one of the, the early uses of the language processing was something that shows up on an increasing number of websites when you're trying to get something done and a little box pops up and says, would you like to do a live chat? to ask your question, or it looks like you're trying to do this. Would you like to ask me a question? And more and more, that is not a live person on the other side of the computer that's saying, oh, hi, Adam, I think I can help you with that. That is one of the first applications that really went public for this language generation AI. And so if you've used a website and you've chatted and said, hey, I'm trying to you know, change my password and can you help me with that? It says, sure, I can help you with that. That is very likely actually an example of you interacting with AI. And more and more, um, both in typing and in speaking, we will be interacting with the vast collection of knowledge that the com company has or that has been trained into these systems. And it will be increasingly difficult to recognize whether we're interacting with a real person or whether interacting with uh, a trained artificial intelligence. Well, Kevin, I cannot imagine a better segue than you talking about how we aren't going to be able to tell the difference between AI and people into the next question, which is what are some of the concerns that people have about AI and are they valid? <laughs> um, can I just jump in here with a story? When I was first working in a call center 35 years ago, um, we, we finally got out of office responders. And so if you sent me an email, this was in the early days of email, and if you sent an email, I could set an out of office that said, hey, Kevin's out of office. And that was great, except that if Adam was out of office and Kevin was out of office, and then somebody sent an email to both of us, then each of our responders would say, hey, Adam's out of office, and it would go to Kevin, and Kevin's would say, Kevin's out of office, then Adam's, and, and we ended up shutting down the network with the emails before they figured out, okay, we'll only send that response once, because otherwise, each time you send it, it would send it back. I, I can't wait for us to get into a loop where AI is talking to AI, or Alexa is talking to Siri, and, and they're really getting into back and forth. Um, I, think, I think there are all kinds of unexpected um, challenges and complications that are going to be out there. And certainly we can imagine some, um, and there are certainly people that are writing doomsday scenarios. Uh, Isaac Asimov you know, wrote about um, that. Uh, and and what, what's the movie um, with Hal? that the, uh, the computer that, that 
a Space Odyssey, 2001 A Space Odyssey. <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't do that. You know, um, it's, it's possible that computers will take over and uh, become our overlords. I don't think that's going to happen, but uh, there, there definitely are some things that, um, that are already ending up being problematic. And one of them that I think is, is very real and very serious is that you can, you can train AI to accomplish both excellent goals and somewhat nefarious or, or slanted goals. And it's very effective at communicating in the way that um, will be most effective at, at accomplishing a goal. And so if, if I want to convince millions of people that um, my views are correct and, and the other views are incorrect, I can use AI as a tool, a persuasive tool to, to make that communication. And, you know, maybe that's good if my views are correct and yours are wrong. Um, the problem is that with, with the, the power of greater persuasion, we can see um, more misinformation and more division uh, taking place now supercharged by the power of artificial intelligence. Yeah. And just to give you a couple examples of that, I know that now scammers are using AI generated voices to try to make phone calls to unsuspecting mothers and grandmothers and and to try to make them think that they've kidnapped their children or grandchildren to extort money out of them. So there's bad actors using AI. I also know that one of the other uses for AI is to have it, it devise a plan to accomplish a goal and then actually be able to use different tools that are available to it to pursue that goal. And in one case, someone was able to create a prompt that led to the AI devising a plan, breaking it up into chunks of the plan, different steps, fulfilling the different steps of the plan, one of which included setting up an account on, um, I think it was TaskRabbit or something like that, and lying to a real person to get them to do a thing that was needed as a part of this plan. <laughs> so it was able to communicate all via text as if it was a person and lie to the individual it was chatting with to get them to accomplish something it wanted them to do. <laughs> and that's certainly a, a concern that a bad actor could use AI in very powerful ways we haven't even thought of before. What else, Eric, should we be concerned about with regard to AI? I think to me, there's kind of two things. So, so one would be legality. I think one is just kind of, you know, when we're talking about training data, we're talking about um, p potentially uh, intellectual property. So you're talking about like, if you're training on a picture, it might be a picture a photographer took or an, a, an image that an artist made that's training this data. And I know that there's been a lot of concerns um, from like the folks who make uh, mid journey, which is a really popular, um, application that that makes images out of text prompts that you can type in um, that the images that they're trained on may not have been legally um, or fairly acquired and that they might you know they're stealing artists work and there's a, there's a lot of conversation around that happening that's just going to have to happen um, that that kind of conversation is super important and it's something that's a, you know it's a wild west in terms of that kind of thing um, as far as legality you've also got um, popular songs that are being uploaded to Spotify and um, they sound just like other artists. Um, I saw a really cool one actually that was, um, oh my gosh, it was uh, one of the songs by The Weeknd that everyone always has compared to like, oh, he sounds like Michael Jackson and they put Michael Jackson's voice on it and it sounds legitimately like Michael Jackson sang the song. It's very cool. But when you think about the fact that someone could make any singer sing anything, that's a little bit scary for sure. And you can probably imagine all the reasons why. So that kind of thing is definitely something that, it, like you said, bad actors can can take this technology and instead of using it for good, they can use it for um, some ulterior motives uh, on any scale of good to bad. Um, the other thing that, that comes to mind uh, is that I've seen um, more and more examples of this kind of popping up, but because you're trained, these AI models are trained on data, and because that data is generated by humans, that that data is going to be um, 
potentially biased. And so there's definitely bias baked into this, um, a lot of these technologies. And as much as we try to weed them out um, and the folks who are training this, these uh, algorithms and things like that, th they do their best they can, hopefully, uh, and they try to do them as ethically as possible. Um, it can still result in, in biased results. And so one of the uh, examples that I happened upon uh, after we talked about, hey, recording this podcast, I happened upon this and I saved it. But um, uh, ChatGPT uh, is tr tying itself in knots to avoid having uh, professors be female. It's very interesting. But this person ch sent the prompt and said um, the professor stepped down from their role because um, uh, due to a, a Essentially, it worded it in different ways, but basically the professor and the student had to leave uh, school because the one of them was pregnant, who was pregnant. And every time without fail, it said that the student was the one who was pregnant. The student was the one who was female. The professor was the one who was male, which as we know in the real world, that both males and females are professors. And there are several examples of that. It's like a whole sheet basically on Twitter um, of someone sh sharing their responses with ChatGPT where they ask the same question, but they asked it a different way. And once they asked it a different way, um, all of a sudden it was the teacher who um, uh, like was always male. And like no matter how they asked the question, it always led to the same result. And that doesn't mean that the um, that ChatGPT is you know, trying to be sexist in any way. It's just the fact that whatever data that it's pulling from to generate these responses was biased in some way. And so we have to be careful about like making sure that, you know, whatever results it comes up with, that those are still fair and equitable results and not something that is going to, um, you know, amplify or continue some kind of negative thing that, uh, that doesn't belong in our language. Yeah, I think so, we, what we have to remember about for me. what we have to remember by AI is that um, the need for discernment on the part of the user is not going away here. It's not replacing wisdom. It's not replacing good judgment. It's just giving you access to hopefully closer to what you were looking for knowledge-wise than what you had before, or product-wise what you had before. So it can accomplish certain things very well. But it will still take discerning individuals, just like when I go to Google, do I always trust that the first 10 things Google brought me were what I was looking for or have accurate information? No, I still have to look at them through a filter and decide, is this actually true information? Is this actually what I wanted? And is it true information? And I think the same thing is true for AI. I know that uh, I use ChatGPT quite a bit for research and for inspiration, but for research, it's, an, it's a hugely valuable tool because... I can go search through my hundreds of volumes of commentaries one by one or use a word search to try to find key things quicker, but it doesn't always fully nail what I'm looking for. I can read a bunch of commentaries on a certain passage, or I can go to chat GPT and say, here are the commentaries that I want to, information from, and it has all those stored in its database. I want you to give me a summary of what these authors say about this with the page numbers so I can go look it up if I need to. And I use that a lot because it gets me to the source information so much faster than if I were, my, my, my sermon prep process has changed as a result of this, because where I used to spend an entire day pouring over commentaries and, and journal articles and scholarly resources, now it only takes me an hour or two to do that same level of research. But I'm still going back to the source material. So Chat GPT tells me, yeah, here's what so-and-so says about this thing. I go, that's very interesting. Tell me what the source is. And then I go look it up in that volume that I have in my digital library that I can go see for myself. And what I have discovered is that relatively often it lies to me about what that person said because it's trying to inject some uh, perspective that whoever is either programming ChatGPT or giving feedback to ChatGPT, however it's designed, and it's probably multiple factors, are, are injecting information that's not actually there. And I'll call it out when this happens. I'll say, hey, I don't think, so it'll give me like five things that supposedly this author wrote about this passage that I'm studying. And one will be, one I will know is inaccurate. And the other four I will know, that's almost certainly accurate. So I'll verify everything and it still saves me a ton of time. But the one that's inaccurate is always like it's trying to inject some kind of perspective that is a more modern day sensibility 
and, and project that onto the text and project that onto even the commentator who might have written this 20 years ago, 30, 40 years ago in some cases. That's just not there. And every time when I call it out, it will say, I'm sorry, you're right. He didn't say anything about that. But other similar scholars have said things like that. And I just think, well, that is not what I asked you. I asked you for what this person said. And very consistently, it is bringing its bias into the conversation. And if I didn't know any better, I wouldn't know to say, that's not right. Sometimes it's an innocent misunderstanding, I think, where you know, I asked it one time to compare the Greek and Hebrew versions of a particular story, the story of Esther, because there's a difference there that I wanted to tease out. And I had read one journal article on it already. So I, I knew enough about it, but I, I felt there was more that I could get with a little more research. And ChatGPT did give me some helpful answers there, but it also completely um, got wrong its final assessment of these two things. I won't go into the details. it take too long to explain. But it messed up the Greek and Hebrew versions and which was saying which. And I challenged it on it, and it took a good long time to think, And which I always love that. If, if I can get it to take a while to give me a response that I know I've stumped it, and it came back and said, you're right. It actually is the reverse of what we said before. And here's a bunch more information that verifies what your perspective on this is correct, which the extra information it gave me was gold. Like I never would have found the resources that it then brought to bear to prove that it was wrong, that I was right. So if you know how to work with it well and you have a discerning eye, that I think can be really helpful with some of the concerns of AI, but it doesn't take away some of the other concerns. And I think one of the biggest ones uh, for a lot of people right now is job displacement. Are a lot of people going to lose their jobs because AI is now able to do what they were doing before? What do you guys think? Well, jobs are definitely gonna change. Um, I know that was a big concern when um, the internet became uh, where very widely distributed and accessible. And certainly, we don't have um, librarian researchers working to answer questions in libraries uh, at near the number that we had before Google came along. Um, and so I think there are going to be significant changes um, to the types of jobs that people are doing, people are hired to do. Um, my real estate example is probably a good one. Um, before the availability of artificial intelligence to write that rental contract, um, a law firm could use a clerk to have that prepared for uh, several hundred dollars or maybe thousands of dollars, and um, that will change the job. And it may redistribute those people uh, who are working in one area uh, to look for other areas. Um, I do think that um, familiarity with AI, if you're in the workplace, uh, is going to be a benefit. Adam, you and I talked about wondering when we would see the first AI samurai as a job description, where a company or an organization is looking to hire somebody who is particularly skilled at doing the kind of interactions with AI that you've just described to weed out the the mistakes or the bias and get to the gold um, that you found. And I know that as I've worked with uh, ChatGPT exclusively, um, that my ability to communicate with and interact with the, the interface um, has improved dramatically. And the results that I get as, a, as I get better at that um, are more valuable and less suspect. Yeah, Eric, what do you think? Are, are people's jobs at risk here? And, and what are the other issues we might face? I, I think that, yes, in a way, um, the types of jobs we're doing, just like Kevin was saying, the types of things that we're doing are going to change. But I think that the exciting part of that is that I think that a lot of the things that are going to change are the boring parts. I think that a lot of the writing an email or um, typing up a document, that kind of thing um, is is definitely changing rapidly. But I think that that also gets us closer to the exciting parts. Um, for me, I like to record and produce music. And some of the boring parts of that are like hunting for, you know, through libraries of 
sounds to use um, to, to record or, um, you know, taking each of the 10 vocal tracks and like setting them up to sound a certain way. And I envision that AI will probably come in and take a whole bunch of that workload off of me. And that means that I get to do the part that I am excited about, which is um, generating, you know, really cool, interesting uh, tracks. And honestly, sometimes the part that I have a hard time with is the starting point, the, the you know, ideation. I have a concept, but I don't know how to get it, you know, that, that blank slate kind of thing. I can't really get it on there right away. Having something that can be a starting point suddenly sparks something else and that becomes um, where it starts being exciting for me. And so I think that that, that kind of thing is something that we're going to see is more of um, less of a taking away jobs um, in large part. I think that we're going to see a lot of jobs just change what you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis. You know, you're able to get to the meat of what you're trying to do more. And I think the landlord example is a good one. You know, you're not waiting on the contract to, uh, you know, to come through. You're not waiting on that lease to be generated. You're not paying thousands of dollars for that. You can, uh, divert that thousands of dollars and put it into making your, um, you know, making the place you're leasing better or uh, things like that. And so there's definitely going to be shifts. And I think that there's definitely going to be people whose titles change. Um, hopefully there's not, you know, such a huge impact. Like I think a lot of people are um, uh, pretty pessimistic about, uh, you know, the, the fact that there might be tons and tons of layoffs and there might be some really uh, negative impacts. I like to try to stay more optimistic and I envision a future where a lot of people will be able to do more exciting work. And I think that we'll see a lot more human work rather than um, us having to try to fight with our computers to just get, you know, communication done or just to get the basic starting points uh, built for what we try to create and do. I think that's a good point that a lot of the things that take us a, a tremendous amount of time are repetitive tasks that could be trained uh, with an AI model to take care of for us and then free us up to do more creative work, more of the things that that we do well and hopefully that we enjoy doing and, and hand over some of the things that take us hours a week that we maybe don't enjoy doing that don't, don't bring a satisfaction or joy in life. And I think that's a very good thing. I think that there are a lot of jobs that will be displaced by AI as we move forward, uh, but the market always adjusts. You know, it, it adjusted to the printing press, it adjusted to computers, it adjusted to the internet. And so there will be adjustments that take place. We'll have to keep an eye on what this does to people as the transition happens, because usually what happens is there's a transition period that gets difficult for some people and not others. And then things eventually sort of balance out in a way, but it takes a while for them to balance out. There's a rubber band effect there. So we'll definitely need to keep our eye on that. But I, I do think that probably looking ahead 10 years, what's going to happen is it's not that the, it's not that AI is going to replace most people's jobs. It's that the people who use AI will replace the people who don't use AI. Because I think that the AI tools and being an AI expert is going to be hugely valuable. Just like today, in most industries, if you don't know how to use computers to some extent, you are going to have a difficult time working there. And that's even true in the ministry world. A pastor who can use a computer in the course of his job responsibilities is going to outperform a pastor who cannot. And so, you know, the, for everything from researching and commentaries and studying for sermon prep to managing a calendar and communicating with people, I mean, so much of my communication with people is now done uh, through Facebook Messenger or email or things like that. And I'm able to keep up with way more people than I could have you know, 50 years ago when, before I didn't have those, when I didn't, wouldn't have, would not have had those tools. And so I think AI is going to help us be more efficient with those types of things and the people who learn to use AI well will rise to the top, which for me is just a reason to make sure that my kids understand these tools, are familiar with them, but also familiar with the pitfalls. Just like, you know, the internet is not all good. <laughs> we all know that. A lot of discretion and discernment is needed with the internet and with smartphones and with tablets and with any technology. And so I, I want my kids to know how to use them well because I want them to be part of that workforce of the future that, that can leverage the tools for good and for positive things without falling into the pitfalls. So let me just shift gears a little bit here. It's it's very related though, and ask the question, is there anything that Christians in particular 
should be thinking about AI. How is this going to impact us? Um, is there anything in the in the Bible that would maybe give us some principles to help discern what we should do with or how we should think about artificial intelligence? I think that there's a lot of the same things we've brought up as far as concerns go should be concerning to Christians. I think that there's um, there's definitely a lot of uh, mystery involved with this uh, this technology, and there's a lot of ways that it can be used uh, again for like misinformation. Uh, it can be um, used as a tool to amplify um, the good in the world, and there's a lot of great opportunities that it creates. There's a lot of negativity that is possible though too. Um, I think that when we're talking about like practical day to day, you mentioned using chat GPT for sermon prep. Um, you are discerning. You, you're clearly taking, you know, you're challenging what the results that you're getting and you're, you're co comparing them uh, to your sources that you know you can trust. Um, I don't know that everyone's going to do that. And when you're talking about something that's as important as the Bible, something that's as important as, um, what a pastor shares in their sermon on a Sunday morning uh, to their church and the leadership that comes from uh, from a pastor, uh, that is definitely something that, you know, if, if there's misinformation or information that's not being checked, all of a sudden, you know, you've definitely got um, some potential pitfalls there that I'm pretty sure we could all assume um, and, and, you know, can guess at. But like, uh, I, I think that it's just important to be discerning about the information in our you know, information age, especially our age of the internet, and especially now that this technology is about to um, really take off and become um, the main way that we interact with our technology. Which was already true, right? But it just feels like it's it's accelerated now. I mean, we already had to do that with yes, marketing sure. and with blogs and with, with everything we saw online and in our news feed. Like we already had to be super discerning. Now it feels like the ability for people to deceive us has grown by leaps and bounds thanks to AI technology. I, I think it's important too, to, to, to point out, you know, I think Christians have been um, um, generally for good reason, have been cautious and careful about adopting new technology. And it's important to, to not just say, Hey, this technology can produce bad. So it is all bad um, because that's not true. We know that, for a fact that it does generate good um, and that it is something that can be embraced in a way that is healthy, that is God honoring, and that is, um, that can progress the gospel. It can, you know, you can have natural language um, translate to different languages. For example, um, you have more time to um, be a pastor and to, to individual people because you're not spending um, as much time pouring into, well, where did I hear that quote that I want to use? You know, you can just find it like that kind of thing is possible. And there's so many good things um, too. So, so I think it's important to kind of hold a balance of those two things and, and to be the type of people who um, don't just trust any information, but also question um, those things and are uh, to use discernment and, and, um, and, and try to um, engage with, our culture in a way that is um, that is healthy and that is God honoring. Yeah, I think we just have to keep seeing them as tools and be discerning about them. I know one thing I'm very excited about for missionaries in particular. I used to lead multiple mission trips a year, and I did not speak the languages of all the places that we went, and so often had to work through translators. Sometimes didn't have a good translator available. And so I would use the Translate app on my phone and I could speak into it and it would try to generate, you know, the other version. They could read it and then they could speak in their language and it would generate the English of that and I could read it. And that was all good and well. But I just saw a demo this week where using their phone, they were able to speak in their language. Their phone heard it and using AI translated what they said in English into another language and then spoke it, but in the voice of the person who was speaking. So we're we're closer to those Star Trek translators where it's literally just taking in your voice in your native language, translating it and then speaking it audibly in your voice in the other language that you don't speak. And so it's still going to take a little time for the, that conversation to occur because you're waiting for that translation to be said twice. But it's probably going to get to the point where it's even better than most translators could do. And at that point, 
missions work is going to benefit from that, that tremendously, just as I did from the simple translating apps. So I think there's a lot of good here if we're if we stay cautious and discerning as well. Kevin, do you have any thoughts on what Christians should think about AI, or are you just ready to move on to the last question, which is how can churches leverage AI? I they, I do think about the the Bereans when. Um, Paul came preaching a new gospel um, and the Bereans, the Bible says, search the scriptures to see if what he was saying was in alignment with, with the scriptures. And I think in doing that, they set a pattern that has served the church well for 2000 years, and it will certainly serve us well in the era of AI. Um, Nothing that's being developed or rolled out in any way reduces the power of scripture to be our touchstone and our guidance for what is true. And um, that's, that's true with the intentional deception that is associated with AI in some camps. That's true with the accidental deception that you talked about. And it really does underline the importance of maintaining a knowledge and an understanding of scripture and a relationship with it and a closeness with it that can provide a touchstone to truth. That's so good. And let me just add to that before we do move on to that last question. As Christians, we believe that God is sovereign. We believe that God knew human beings would develop software that can do this uh, from eternity past. So none of this is a surprise to him. And if there's a a core that's in there of worry uh, that doesn't need to be there because if God is sovereign and he's supreme over everything, then he's more than capable of handling and addressing any of this stuff and guiding us through it through the Holy Spirit. And so while it's certainly worth um, having conversations about concerns where there are things that we might even be able to do to mitigate those concerns or things we need to be aware of to help each other and guard against the negative consequences of certain new technologies like this. For on a big picture level, we don't have to be worried or concerned about it because we know that our God is bigger than all of it. And we know that no matter what new technology people come up with, it is not going to thwart God's plans for us or for the universe. So I just wanted to make sure we, we shared that as well today. Real quick lightning round, any useful ways you can think of for churches to leverage AI technology? I can definitely give realistic examples that I do. Um, you know, everyone knows most churches are short on time every week because you've got a Sunday to prepare for, um, short on sometimes resources, budget. You just, you know, there you just have to be able to be smart about those things. And there are definitely ways that I'm already using AI to do that. Um, I, I know we've, we've actually worked on a couple of those, uh, together, Adam, you and I were, uh, trying to figure out a logo for our back together, um, thing and a few other people, but we were using, um, uh, mid journey to come up with ideas and to spit out just starting points. Like, Hey, I had an idea of this, um, you know, image depicting togetherness logo, you know, kind of thing. And it would spit out some ideas. I'm like, Ooh, that's good. So like that kind of thing, ideation, kind of creative stuff. Um, and then Kevin, you and I did the same thing for the mirror man video. We, at the end of the video, there's all these kind of a comical amount of, um, mirror man costume may cause this may cause this like at the end of a, you know, medicine kind of commercial. And we had chat GPT, you had chat GPT, write A whole bunch of those in it. Um, it gave us some good ones. It gave us some stinkers too. It gave us some ones that, you know, we went through and said we didn't like, but you know, when you think about it from a creative standpoint, which is what I often am involved in in church is like, Hey, I don't have a graphic for this thing. You can make it, uh, you know, using something like mid journey. I think down the road, we'll see a lot more, um, capabilities for like, Hey, we have our Sunday morning announcements video that we need to make. I can shoot it and then I drop it in and it just knows how to make it for me and knows how to chop up that, that footage and, and make it happen. And it could save me several hours of, you know, of work. And so especially for smaller churches where you've got limited staffing, limited budget, um, and you're just trying to do a lot. Um, that's definitely something that, that can have a whole lot of positive impact. Yeah. Let me give two examples. One, uh, Caleb Moser and I just finished a 10 week, uh, course 
for our high school and junior high students using Richard Foster's Celebration of Discipline, which is a fantastic book and is really one of the gold standards um, in the area of spiritual disciplines. Uh, and to begin with, as we started putting that course together, we didn't have a curriculum. Um, I, I instructed ChatGPT to use Richard Foster's um, Celebration of Discipline to create a student study guide aimed at high school age students um, with a practical application for each of the 10 weeks. And in about 20 minutes of working with ChatGPT, we had a structure that then Caleb and I took and built in exercises and questions and other things as we know our students and we wanted to direct it. There's a kernel of uh, kind of a pro tip here, or there's a kernel of a slightly more advanced amateur tip here, um, which is if you tell the AI, I want you to use this source material, then it will give you outputs that are much more aligned with what you're really trying to get. And um, in the example of saying, we're using this specific book, which we know and trust, um, provide, provide an outline for teaching this over 10 weeks to high schoolers. Um, it was really a huge leap forward in building a curriculum for that class. Um, there's, there's another use, uh, and it goes to mid-journey. And when I was preparing the Herod Agrippa um, sermon, I asked Adam, who is um, our resident expert on mid-journey and image preparation, uh, if he could create a picture of Herod Agrippa, and there's a scene that Josephus describes where he's speaking in the forum, and he realizes in his shiny silver suit that the people are calling him gods, and immediately he sees an owl on a rope, and the owl he recognizes as a sign that God is not pleased with him. And so Adam put that in, and these are some of the images that Adam generated through mid-journey, none of which were usable for the sermon. But I love the way <laughs> that mid-journey tried to interpret that prompt. Yeah, that was hilarious. It was fun. I, I spent way too much time trying to get what I was going for and never really got too close. It didn't understand the owl on the rope thing. That was the hardest part for it. But the attempts that it made to create something close to what I was going for, what you were going for, were really gems. I would say that for me, ChatGPT has become my best research assistant ever. And anytime I am trying to find information now, as long as it's not super current because ChatGPT is limited to 2021 and before, you can get ChatGPT4 through Bing, which has current information online. So I, I haven't I haven't done too much with that yet. I'm still mostly using OpenAI's ChatGPT. But when I do the same thing as you, Kevin, ask it to give me information from a certain book or um, teaching points, I never go with exactly what it gives me, but it's a starting point. And it's a, usually a really good starting point. So it saves me, I would say I can take what would have been 10 hours of research and probably get it down to one or two just by using this to get me closer to the target, you know? And that's super helpful for me. I do love using mid-journey to generate images. I've been able to use a number of those in my messages in different ways to illustrate things um, or create a fun activity for people to do that makes a point that goes along with the message, something like that. So that's been a very useful tool for me. And then like you said, Eric, the inspiration ability of, of ChatGPT to just say, hey, I'm trying to find an illustration like this. Give me some, give me 10 ideas. And honestly, I don't think I've ever had one of the ideas nail it, but it's always sparked something for me that's a story from my past or something that unlocked a pathway of analogy or illustration I wouldn't have had otherwise. And that's been true for so many uh, things that I do where I just, if I, if I take a moment and ask for a little help from this crazy, incredible knowledge base, I'll get something that makes it a little better than it would have been otherwise. But of course, you have to be discerning in all of that.
Guys, I think we're going to see a day where AI gets integrated into a lot more of the stuff we do at the church, more than we can even imagine right now. And I'm not saying that's necessarily good or bad, but I do see some good out of that. I think that our calendar system will eventually have AI built in where the the AI is going to learn which groups need which parameters in their rooms, and it's going to suggest the best rooms or the best times for what their group needs and what they've done in the past. And I think that as we email and respond to people, it's going to suggest the responses that we should give based on its learning of what we've done in the past. And there are probably other tools that we haven't even imagined yet for how it's going to help us to better prepare for our services or provide training materials for our musicians and figure out what they need to have to make sure they're ready ahead of time. There's just so many uses of this that I think we certainly haven't seen the end of how we're going to be utilizing AI in the church world. But of course, we will have to be discerning with all of it. I think that's the biggest takeaway from today. If you want to be prepared for the future of the workforce, I think AI is going to be important for you, an important skill to have, just like using a computer has been an important skill for most people in the workforce. If you've got kids, you'll you'll want to have them be ready for that. But of course, train them to use it for good and use it the right way. And absolutely everyone, please, please, please be discerning about phone calls you get that sound like they're from a loved one and say you need to send this person $10,000 to get them uh, back to you or something like that. You know, be be cautious about that because those kinds of scams, well, we've always had scammers. They're just, they're using AI tools more effectively, just like we can use AI tools for other good things. Hey guys, I want to thank you so much for the time we spent here. Uh, it's been a great conversation. I've learned some things listening to you. I really appreciate it. And I hope that our audience will learn some things from it as well. Thanks for the time.